1: Center. It sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and
2: musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are
0: becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issue of people being different.
3: I mean, we
4: do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything.
0: Welcome back to Broadway Bullet Volume 318 for September 10th, 2009. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and it's good to be back. We're back with a brand new season, and September is a month of special <laughs> events. We've got, we're going weekly this month, in fact, we're going to have a bonus episode in there to boot. We've got four episodes in a row, all detailing Nymph 2009, which is running from September 28th through October 18th. Right here, you're going to get a sneak preview with 20 of the many shows that are playing at Nymph this year. You're going to hear interviews, music, live performances, and more. Also, somewhere in the middle there, after, right after September 18th, we're going to have More exclusive backstage coverage from the New York It Awards. Remember, last year we got some amazing, amazing interviews, including Edward Albee and Olympia Dukakis there. So you're going to want to make sure to check that out as well. So, on this first Nymph episode, we're going to open up with an introduction from the executive director, Isaac Hurwitz. He's going to talk about this festival and past festivals. And then, we've got music and interviews from the following shows. Fucking Up Everything, Fantasy Football, The Toymaker, Gay Bride of Frankenstein, and Encore. All right, so uh, don't touch that dial, so to speak. We're going to start right now.
5: Close.
0: Well, as Nymph kicks off its sixth season, we've got Isaac Hurwitz, the executive producer and brainchild behind Nymph. In fact, he was with Nymph from the very start with Chris Stewart, took over as... Uh, executive-slash-artistic director last season and is now in his second season commandeering the whole reigns, and he's here with us to talk about <laughs> Nymph. How are you doing? Doing very well.
6: <laughs> as well as I can be for three and a half weeks out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, like, well, uh, before we talk about kind of this season, one of the biggest things I'm interested in talking to you is you were with festival from the very beginning, and yep. then last year, you know, when... Uh, when uh, <laughs> What happened? <laughs> no, uh, well, I was spaced out on the name. Um, Chris. <laughs> Chris. When Chris, yes. Yeah, when Chris Stewart stepped out and, you know, got to direct uh, Wicked over in Australia, uh, among other reasons. You took over all the reins. And I'm wondering, what was the biggest difference for you between being one of a, a pair getting this going and now that the whole thing was
6: in your lap? Uh, well, it was an overwhelming amount of work then <laughs> <laughs> um, I think w- last year w- before Chris left um, he and I had had a lot of conversations about how far NIMH had come in the first four years I think much farther than we had ever anticipated it would come um, and it was a real opportunity for us to to make a turning point in the, the organization and to sort of really think longer term about how we institutionalize NIMH and, and build it um, so that it could really support artists in a more um, in-depth way. Institutionalized. You could put it in a straight jacket. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's me at the end of the festival. Um, no, I, I think, so. so we had really thought about, you know, what was the long-term journey that we had to make here? And so last year was very challenging in a lot of ways, not just because... Chris had left, but because we also really had to tackle some of those the challenges of having started this festival on uh, a wing and a prayer and sort of on a whim. Because we all—it was not just me and Chris; it was a large group of people who really got together and said, "There's something lacking here in the New York community. There's there's an opening here. We should just do it." And then we had to sort of retrofit what we were doing to what already existed. So. Last year was a lot about recrafting and thinking about how we could structure this so that it was really doing its job a lot better. And I think we made some major progress, but it was rough. Um, and so this year... What were been, some of the new goals that you kind of instituted in well, that restructure? We really built up our writer service program last year with the Next Link project, um, which had always existed and was always the open submission portion of the festival. Um, but it, we added uh, and strengthened the role of professional dramaturgs in that program, and we've begun providing uh, production subsidies to the shows that are in the, right, in the Next Link project, and really thinking about how we can ensure that the festival maintains uh, there's, that we maintain access for the widest range of people to the festival, people who have never worked professionally in New York before, as well as people who more and more want to take part in this community who do work professionally on a regular basis in New York and I think the the one of the very exciting things about the festival this year is that you really see that this is a place where those two groups of people are coming together we've got some established writers as well as really brand new writers and we've got a, just an amazing array of of performers directors designers working in the festival this year. So so that was the number one thing for me, was to really build up that program. Uh, and and that required us thinking year-round and how we sustain, you know, the support. And so we, we really were working to... We have our, our programming director, Lily Hung, is year-round full-time as, as a... You know, we have a staff of five that is year-round. Um, and, you know, the other piece of it was just... Starting to think about the fundraising challenges of keeping this going in a way that we can keep the costs down for everybody involved, because this was conceived as an, a way to more effectively launch artists and projects, and to make that to make it possible for writers and independent artists to to leverage their their small resources to more effectively get their projects and their careers forward. And so, you know, as you do this more and more, there are, you know, the the costs continue to go up here in New York. Space is more and more of a challenge every year. Um, And so we've had to really grow as an organization to to compensate for those challenges growing. Now,
0: I want to bring up one question, and and I I don't mean this to sound attacking, because I I think there's a defense to this, uh, about the submissions this year. I heard some grumbling last year, I'm not going to say specifically where, that that some people felt that, you know, after five years of doing the workshop, that all the good musicals had already been submitted.
6: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I heard that the first year. (laughs) When we were going around in, in 2004 to, you know, try to get support for the initial festival, a lot of people in, in the industry said to me, you know, we really don't think that there are 30 great new musicals. Why don't you just raise some money for one or two shows? And that wasn't really the model that we were going after. And I think it really has to do with, for, for me, the reason Nymph exists is to expand the funnel of opportunity, is to make sure that there are pro- more, the access to production resources and to getting in front of an industry audience and with professional participants, um, that all those production things that are important for artists, not just to effectively get their shows up, but to to grow as writers and, and artists in, the, in a, a three-dimensional musical theater, um, those resources need to be accessible to more people. And so that's one one of the reasons why it was important for us to maintain the size of the festival. Now. Do I think that this the the range of shows has changed? i do I think that we had the first one or two years we had a lot of projects that had been just sitting in drawers waiting um, and so there were a lot of things that were you know had been workshopped and workshopped and workshopped already were very polished and I think in the past couple of years that 's been mixed with shows that are much rawer. I think still very in- incredibly exciting and there 's a lot of talent behind them but this, they're in a different stage in their growth. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's very exciting for them not to have to wait seven years <laughs> to get up and, and, and to learn from this process. And they, this is not, for any of our shows, I hope, the end stage. You know, this is not the final version of the show. I look at uh, a show like Next to Normal, and when it was at Nymph, as Feeling Electric in 2005, it was three, over three hours long and a completely different show. I mean, it was, I mean, there were many of the same songs, but this process of putting a show up is so crucial to the development of a show. And I think that we're lucky here in New York to have such a rich community of artists and theater fans who want to be part of that process of helping a show develop.
0: Yeah, and you know you've had many shows succeed, and a couple, like I said, Broadway successes this past year with Title of Show and uh, and Next to Normal, and several off Broadway runs. But to me, it seems like a lot of the value is with any festival. You're going to have some real incredible gems that are truly entertaining, great shows, and some stuff that clearly needs a lot of work. But you can spot certain things that are. And how many of the writers have an honest assessment of what they should get out of this? Because how, how I view it as. There's, this show may not have a further life, mm-hmm. but they're meaning a lot of contacts, and they're seeing somebody who may want to use that composer for yeah. something else, or somebody else who may like that book writer, or, or, or the directors get a chance to work, and somebody likes the director. It's a launching pad, not necessarily just
6: for the shows you're watching. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think one of the challenges of having had so much... Uh, success with shows transferring from the festival in the first two years is that that becomes the most, uh, the primary expectation that a lot of people have. But when we talk to people who want to participate in the festival, and when I talk to audiences, and when I talk to, you know, our Next Link project, we have a whole weekend of sort of training about what this experience is all about. Um, I really believe the, there are a multitude of positive outcomes here. and, and that having the show transfer is one of the least likely of those outcomes, but we do a lot of match for a couple of reasons I want to say yeah i mean I, I think the, the base... industry is
0: I think you acknowledge as much as I do and, and i 've done some writing before that the industry is probably ninety percent producer based i'm not I'm, sure i, I don 't know about ninety percent, but, but where is the <laughs> producer say I want to do a show like this? Rather than and then they kind of find the team and and assemble it. Who was going to write it? Not going out looking for just the best show to mount. Right.
6: Well, I I think it it, It's both. But but there are there
0: are shows that slip through. But I would still. I think probably like you know eighty to ninety percent are somewhere, are crafted somewhere else originally, other than the original writer's bedroom. (laughs)
6: I also think we have to think beyond the commercial new york theater here yeah, I mean, okay. there are a lot of we've had over fifty shows that have gone on to future productions after the festival. A lot of them have gone on to regional theater productions and you know and amateur and stock productions and international productions uh, I think Nymph shows now have been in forty three states plus d c uh, that's much broader than the eight or nine or ten that have been in New York City. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I, I do think that there are a lot of other positive outcomes for, for people, and, and some of it has to do with the strength of the community that's at Nymph, but the fact that these new writers get the opportunity to work with Tony-nominated and Tony-award-winning directors and designers and have these amazing casts helping them to realize their show teaches them a lot about their art it also helps them make new collaborators uh, you know create new collaborations and so that the next project will be richer um, and so that they'll you know they will be integrated into a community of working artists um, and then it also whether or not the show that they're doing is going to have you know a life as a commercial New York production, there are a lot of industry members who come and see the shows and then reach out to artists and say, "I'd love to work with you on a different project." And I think that that you know people are aware that there are so many different opportunities. and what we're trying to do is not, you know it's not just about we want to do a show for six performances and then have it extend off Broadway at New World stages. Mm-hmm. That's not what the festival's about. The festival is really a celebration of the next generation of the musical theater community, um, so, and that includes writers, it includes directors and actors and artisans, about keeping that, that community and that art form vibrant and fresh and new and self-sustaining. Now,
0: that said, I want, I want to tackle the other end, and obviously, sure. in, in selling tickets. Um, I know the audience base has been growing, and, and a lot of the shows are selling out more and more each year. And I'm guessing all of that isn't industry and friends. No, not at all. Um, I mean, we've um, grown so what from- is your average audience expectation? Because I know I, when I go to something like this, I don't necessarily – I enjoy catching lo- lots of shows at this festival. And, I, and I'm so busy this year, I'm upset that I might not be able to catch a whole lot. <laughs> uh, you know, but I love it when I can, and not because I think I'm going to go see a that show
6: every time, but for just the breadth of learning experience of seeing, you know. Well, we've got people who come in and see one show, or come in for a weekend and see a couple of shows, and we've got people who clear three weeks, and I mean, I've had some people who emailed me this year and said, I'm seeing 36 events, it's my most ever, Um, I'm (laughs) really excited, and I, because I do speeches before a lot of the shows, I end up seeing Folks over and over and over again over the course of three weeks. So, you know, there's a whole community of people who see nymph shows that develops, which is incredibly wonderful. Um, you know, the audience has grown enormously. We started it, the first year of the, f- of the festival, we had about 18,000 people attend. Um, and last year it was over 40,000. So uh, that, you know, and a lot of the shows sell out. Um, we already, and, you know, this year the first two days of single ticket sales have been. Record sales. Um, we already have several performances that are sold out, and uh, probably early next week we'll be announcing some extensions. So, um, and some of that has to do with the fact that there are you know incredible Broadway performers in almost every show. You know, you know that that this is an incredible opportunity to see these folks up close and personal because these theaters are 99 and. You know, up to 200 seats. So it's an intimate theatrical experience, which I think for both performer and audience is a really exciting thing. Most of us went into live theater because we really enjoy that uh, experience.
0: And in your, ex- in your experience and in, in your watching, okay, I think we look at shows in a different way. We've you know, written on them, worked on them, done them. We have a, a certain expectation. Is a general audience a bit more forgiving than us in terms of sheer enjoyment of a show that we might consider uh, wasn't the greatest? I
4: mean, I think this
0: relates to, and I don't don't mean this in a negative way, but I'm just actually curious in a truly relevant, and you've seen a lot of them, and you've been in the trenches with a lot of people, and this relates to not just the festival, even New York, when the critics really slam on something for, you know, a technical detail or something. Is a general audience more or less forgiving of, and, and I'm not talking about friends, but when you see people come in that really seem to have no attachment, but they've come in to for a, a, an enjoyable evening mm-hmm. at the theater.
6: I, I think it it cuts both ways. I think that general audiences respond to different things than members of the industry. And one of the reasons we started the festival was so that these shows would have an opportunity to be seen by general audiences rather than doing industry readings where people, everyone is sitting on their hands, looking around, waiting to see what everyone else is thinking and doing. Because that's not a genuine, immediate response to the work. It's filtered through the anxiety of uh, you know, is this going to be a success or not? And I think that what's...
0: And the industry people go, I I don't want to make a visible reaction, unless other people do.
6: Do I want to be involved in this project? (laughs) Whereas I think general audiences come in and they have Everyone wants to have a good time. That's why people go to the theater uh, or to have an expected, an experience of some sort. And so you can really evaluate based on the success of that experience. You know, you can see whether it's working or not. Um, and I think, you know, our our audiences see a lot of theater. I, I think that. We have a lot of theater fans who attend the festival, and they're pretty savvy. And when people come up and talk to me about the shows who are not members of the industry who just like to see musicals, they are very articulate about what they think works and what doesn't work. And I think that's an incredibly valuable experience for artists to have.
0: Now, do those audience members get the same appreciation that I do? Like I so said, I go, and I can get just as much out of... a a not as great show as a great show on a different level and those audiences that you're talking about that are just fans and want to see a lot of musicals do they have that same appreciation for sometimes they realize they maybe saw something
6: in a show that wasn't all that some do and some don't I mean we we, we try to make sure I mean the thing is the Nymph 30 musicals is a lot of musicals but it's it's not um it's it's still a very curated festival, and the the goal is to make sure that there is that we can get behind and we know why we're promoting each show that's in the festival there's There's something very exciting about each of the projects in this year's festival, and that's not to say that every show is as polished and finished as uh Alderboys was when it was in the festival but um but I think that audiences will respond. Uh, positively to everything that they see in this year's festival. and, you know, different things are to different people's tastes and one of the joys of festival going is that you get to <laughs> sort of sample and because the tickets are only $20 it really is a low risk investment so and, th- and I, we try to foster that feeling that this is an opportunity for audiences, for artists for everybody to explore to take a little risk to dive in and um, and to celebrate the experience of and the potential of musical theater um, so I think Everybody comes into the Nymph looking for what the potential is. And if you go and you see a lot of Nymph shows, you get sucked into that vibe as well. And I think it's, it makes for a really exciting three weeks. All right. So, And, again, the dates for the whole festival are? This year's festival runs from September 28th to October 18th. A little later this year than it It was. is. We were trying to uh, not... Uh, run into all of the Jewish holidays this year. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and also just, you know, w- Labor Day is late this year. We wanted to make sure everybody was back and able to, you know, I think it, it makes for a, a... I think
0: it might help giving people a few weeks' break from the chaoticness yeah. of the fringe, too. It's true. Because <laughs> <laughs> I imagine there's a lot of crossover in yeah. some of that.
6: Well, you know, I have to say, the first year we did the festival, uh, we announced that we were going to do it in late April, we held our first fundraiser in May, and it opened on September 13th. That was a really short prep time, and every year it gets longer. So every year I, th- I go, should we make it later? <laughs> 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 Buy myself another week or two. Um, but uh, but as, you know, w- what it means is that, you know, just as we're approaching Labor Day now and everybody's announced their casts um, and going into rehearsals, the we now have – Four weeks of really um, exciting energy going into the festival, so I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Yeah,
0: and over the next uh, this episode and the next three episodes, our listeners are going to get to hear interviews and music and
6: samples from twenty of the shows that are going up. So terrific! They get a chance, and they can also listen to samples of everything at our site. You know, we've got uh, music samples and uh, all sorts of stuff over at nymph.org. All right. Liza well, Kerricks, thanks so
0: much for stopping by and your busy schedule at the moment. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> Best of luck.
7: On the boards.
0: Our next writers are fucking up everything. Uh... Yeah, that's the show playing at Nymph. In fact, they they maybe did fuck up everything because they were going to do Nymph last year, but now they're they decided to wait and get everything in in line. And now, hopefully, they're not fucking up everything. We've got uh, music, lyrics, and co book writer David Eric Davis here, and we've got actor Noah Weisberg to talk about fucking up everything. And you can tell I really like saying that title.
8: But <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's true. It's it's a big job to fuck up everything by yourself. So. I took a little time and brought in some people to help me fuck it all up. You want to introduce yourselves really quick so they connect your uh, name with your voice? Yes, this is David
0: Eric Davis. And uh, I'm Noah Weisberg. Okay, David Eric Davis. Did your parents have a sense of humor naming you?
8: It's a good question. (laughs) And uh, come down to the show, you'll be able to ask them yourself. Opening night, they'll be there. Put them on the spot. Um, uh, I was named after... uh, a uh, Deborah Esther and so D-E I thought it was nice I thought, I thought like, people would say uh, Man, D-Eric Davis that's kind of a nice name but they always called me Eric and I've just uh, started reclaiming my whole name so David Eric Davis is, is what I'm sticking to Alright so tell
0: us uh, the elevator pitch in a nutshell what is fucking up everything now I'm going to put the actor on the spot you're selling the show to your friends too All right, elevator well, pitch fucking up everything here's the elevator pitch here's what attracted
9: me to do it was that it is a funny, heartfelt show about being true to yourself, and by being true to yourself, getting what you actually want, instead of doing what a lot of us do, which is try to be someone else to try to achieve our goals.
0: All right. That's good. So, David Eric Davis, I like saying that. Um, <laughs> what was the process? Why did you get into writing uh, writing the show?
8: Uh I guess, it's, uh, you know, you sort of uh, s- I stumbled into it. I'd been, I had a band called Uncle Izzy. I was trying to make that work. I brought my music to a friend in a record company. He said, uh, you really need to be writing for musical theater. I told him, go fuck yourself. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I, I slept on and I thought, he's actually right. And so so I, you're slumming here with <laughs> us. No, I, you know, I, 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 I really, it's true. I never liked musical theater. Uh, and I, 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 uh, But instead of so going through this process, I... Gained a real appreciation and, and uh, growing love for it, but it's not where I come from at all. Um, and but I, I thought about it and I and I uh, I gave it a shot and started putting this thing together. And um, it's good enough for the Who, right? <laughs> and he's back, right? There's a new one. There's a new yeah. Pete Townsend has a new musical coming up now. Um, so. Uh, Sort of put it together in one uh, uh, one sort of caffeine-fueled weekend, a first draft, and then a uh, hundred drafts later uh, was uh, accepted to NIMP, and they were uh, gracious enough to let us defer for a year while I found... Uh was it already
0: titled, Fucking Up Everything at that point?
8: It was titled that, yep. So was there a lot of, like, laughs about
0: that, that you decided not to do it? <laughs>
8: <laughs> <laughs> he fucked up everything. <laughs> Uh, w- w- yeah, it's, uh, yeah, they, they never had seemed to have a problem with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what, what is the story about? Okay, it's it's about chasing, you know, as you said, going after what you want, but who is it about? What is the story?
9: Yeah, so there's, uh, the lead character is a guy named Christian Mohammed Saltson. Schwartzberg, <laughs> And, uh, he basically is nervous around girls, um, kind of awkward, something that I'm going to really have to act at doing, <laughs> not familiar with that, and uh, he finally meets this just beautiful, great girl, and of course, before he can really finalize this connection that he's already established with her, she meets the hot, hunky, best friend of him, and uh, basically, you know, she he sweeps her off his feet, off her feet, yeah, so... Uh, he sets out to figure out why he can't ever get a girl, and he tries to be himself. He's a puppeteer. He does children's birthday parties, and um, usually—that's l-
0: usually a magnet for the women.
9: <laughs> That's so funny. That's one of the lines. He sort of—he doesn't admit that right away. Kind of like me. I'm like, uh, you know, you don't always admit that you do musical theater and and you enjoy watching HGTV. There are things you keep secret on first dates. Um, so anyway, so. Uh, finally, his his uh, best buddy, this really, like, cool rocker guy who gets every girl, gives him some advice. The way to get girls is to be a jerk. And of course, I think Christian, my character, is like, no, 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 that, that can't be. There's got to be other ways, you know? Girls like nice guys. That's what all the fairy tales are about. He, the best friend convinces him, no, 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 this is the way to go. So he takes on this persona and really gives it a go, ends up hurting the girl's feelings. Um, and then I think starts to realize that maybe you can be yourself and be a decent person and the right girl will actually like you for that
0: All right. well before we go further um, I know you brought in a demo of some of the recordings do you want to tell us about this first song we're going to play
8: sure the first song uh, opens the show sets the tone uh, and if anybody's going to be offended by anything it just lets them know right away to, to leave the theater now <laughs> and th- this is sung by uh this is sung by uh christian's friend uh, jake who fronts the band Vanilla Roma.
2: all
10: right let's take a listen skinny fucking ties and skinny fucking jeans i keep it fucking real but i don't know what it means the truth is overrated and that's why i fucking sing the best of us i know i'm good i'm fucking up everything i'm fucking up everything Take the L train to Bedford in the last fucking car. Life's a fucking stage, heavily taken. If you fall, we fucking each got a plan. But it's something we just wing. and fucking do the best we can, and still we're fucking up everything. Yeah, we're fucking up everything. Fuck you. Fuck me. You fucking piece of (laughs) shit. Fuck. So fucking fun. Let's fuck for the fuck of it. Fuck, fuck, fucky, fuck, fucky, 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 fuck, fucky, 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 fuck, 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 fuck. Elmer Bernstein. F U C K I N G. Fuck, fucky, fucky, fuck, fucking up everything. Thanks for fucking comin' to our big fucking show. You're a lovely fucking audience, but hate to fucking go. I'll see you backstage for a freaky fucking thing. You're the darling of the fucking age, you're fucking up everything. We're fucking up everything We're fucking up everything We're fucking up everything, everything, everything We're fucking up everything, everything, everything We're fucking up everything We're fucking up everything everything.
1: yeah,
0: we're up everything. all right so you're some of your people haven't left the theater after hearing that song <laughs> uh, what has been the biggest challenge actually now that you've decided you know this second year that you're going to go through with it in, in getting this mounted and, and getting it up Uh Sleeping. He said, he said mounted and getting
9: it
10: <laughs> i <in the laughs> like, do I take that? <laughs> yeah. awesome. Are we on Babison uh, by d- that d-
8: now? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you your own question. What has been the biggest challenge in getting it up? Yeah. Uh, uh, I think really for me, it's been sleeping. <laughs> we've been still, still rewriting and making changes. And um, we've uh, been doing Sam Foreman, uh, co-book writer, and uh, Stephen Brackett and the director and I uh, working through making changes, tuning it, tightening it, writing new songs, changing songs. Um, so we've we just sort of uh, working at, at it. Uh,
0: How has it been, just on the simple task of actually getting you know sheet music you know out for you know? Is, is that a
8: task that you've done before a lot with no, was, with rock music to. Yeah. No, I, 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 uh, I've never seen my music in, written out like that. It was actually really <laughs> exciting to see the first pieces coming in. Uh, and uh, So we did a, we had to do a few for the editions, but uh, now uh, Matt Hinckley, our, our musical director, arranger, orchestrator, is, uh, is doing not just—I mean, we had just done lead sheets, and, uh, but now he's doing these full orchestrations, and so to see these scores is uh, even more exciting.
0: All right. Well, let's continue on with another song from your demo here. You wanna, how about uh, we have uh, Noah set this one up? Um, what tune is it? Julia. <laughs> no, it's Little Boys.
9: Oh, so this song, this is great. Um, we have an amazing Tony-nominated actress named Liz Larson who is like one of my idols and somebody I've actually, I don't know if you guys know, we did a show together. We did oh, Grease yeah. Together at the St. Louis Muni. Oh, yeah. Um But I'm just, like, a huge fan of her, so to have her in the show is ridiculous. And uh, she is this, uh, plays this woman that's uh, older than my friend Jake and I, and we go to have a, uh, I believe what the French call a (laughs) three-way with her. And um, this is a song that she
0: sings about us. All right, let's take a listen.
3: Little boys, they always thrill you. Little boys, don't fail to fill you. Little boys, they'll be good to you Little boys, I like the shy ones Little boys, and I like the high ones Little boys, they'll be good to you It's true that sometimes they come too fast but I can teach them how to last. My repertoire is deep and vast. Little boys.
4: Little boys. Well, hello.
0: All right, so you got stars, you got a classic John Hughes type storyline. And it's so sad to have seen, you know, John Hughes leave us this year. Uh, what what's next I guess to tell us what uh, date you're playing
8: you're the 6th
0: through the 16th yes
8: yes and do you know what theater you're at yet we're in 45th Street Theater okay um, which uh, is, feels perfect for this kind of show a lot of the show takes place in a rock club and that theater really has the feeling of it I, it. I, I have to say quickly I don't know if you guys know that
9: uh, every time I mention this show or, or when I was first told about it Everyone that talks about it is like, oh, my God, oh, that show. Really? Everyone, the buzz is already great about it, and people that have heard a lot of the or some of the demo songs are all excited about it, and it just feels good going into a project that people are already excited about, and actually not just excited based on buzz, but excited based on hearing the, the humor of the storyline or the heart of the, of the actual story
8: and uh, hearing some of the music, so that's exciting. That's very exciting. Yeah.
0: And people can remember the title, definitely.
4: Exactly.
8: <laughs> it's funny. People say uh, fucking everything up a lot, and I've had a lot of long conversations with people. What's the difference between fucking everything up and fucking up everything? <laughs> what is the difference? I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, the website
0: should be easy to remember. It is? Fuckingupeverything.com. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, now you have all the specific dates and all the, you know, weird times, festival times on there. That is all there. And they can also go to nymph. Uh, org to find that information as well. Yes, so they, and there's
8: a Facebook page, too,
0: they can search for. All right. Got, yeah. Got all the bases covered. All right. Um, so, David, Eric Davis, and Noah Weisberg, thanks so much for stopping by. Thank you. Uh, Thank we're going to leave everybody with one more song here from your from the show. Uh, does one of you want to set up this last song here?
8: So this is uh, when when Christian Mohammed Schwarzenberg first meets the lovely Juliana and is uh, dumbstruck with love, uh, he turns out and sings. All right. Well, hopefully everybody can catch Fucking Up Everything at NIMF. Thanks for coming by. See you guys at the show. Bye.
10: Here I stand, you understand, and when I take you by the hand I will be dancing with you, Juliana Here we go, we're going slow, and it's the only thing I know I will be dancing with you, Juliana Juliana How much further will it go? Juliana I don't know Juliana We'll just sit back and take it slow, and I'll be dancing with you, Juliana It was clear, but you are near, there's really nothing we should fear I'm only dancing with you, Juliana here we are, we are on par, and when I wish upon the stars to be dancing with you, Juliana, Juliana, how much further will it go? Juliana, I don't know. Juliana, so just sit back and watch it grow, and I'll be dancing with you, Juliana. I'll be dancing with you, Juliana. How oh, I long to hang her. the heart on my sleeve, no deceiving, make believe. still the to go. Juliana. I don't know. Juliana. I'll have to find a way to show it. I'll be dancing with you, Juliana. I'll be dancing with you, Juliana. Juliana. I'll be dancing with you, Juliana.
7: On the boards.
0: Hey, Benedict, how are you guys doing?
11: Doing all right. We're all fine. Fantastic.
0: Hey, do you want to introduce yourselves maybe really quick uh, so people can connect your name with your voice?
11: Sure. This is Dave Ingber. I
5: uh, wrote and composed the show. And Alvin Huff. I arranged Dave's awesome music. Uh, My name is Patrick Benedict. I'll be playing Skip Berry in the show. All right. Quick.
0: 15-second elevator pitch. What's Fantasy Football the Musical?
5: Well, we raised $45 million
11: to do this in the Hilton Theater. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Spider-Man right <laughs> now. I'm sorry. No, no. Uh, this is Fantasy Football the Musical. It's a show about a total cultural phenomenon with millions of total enthusiasts worldwide. Uh, it's a huge, cultural, amazing thing that uh, everyone's so crazily into. And this is this our— This is Catholicism? You know what? <laughs> we, we went that
8: direction for a while.
11: <laughs> and uh, no, no, we, uh, we, we got some, some mean letters from the archdiocese, so... <laughs> No, this is, uh, this is our, our tribute to the bro culture, the wonderful world of being a sports fan that uh, all three of us happen to be a part of. We're all big fans of theater and all big fans of sports, so look bridging that gap. Hopefully we can make some converts to either side.
5: Well, actually, I, I am a Catholic, and I was really offended by what Dave had written at first, so he had revised it several times before. <laughs> had encouraged before, the rewrite. Yeah, before I approved.
0: <laughs> so what is fantasy football about
5: uh, it's about uh, 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 Matthew Berry. And
0: I, I, I just picture a bunch of people running around an office picking teams. You know, it's <laughs> like, that's. Uh, <laughs> I
11: want to know, how, how is this on stage? Yeah, there's there's no script and there's no music. <laughs> we actually just have, we just bring
5: cameras into an office and we just
11: watch people not get work
5: done. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's about these, uh, 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 Matthew Berry and, uh, and Bill Simmons are actual uh, sportscasters on, on SportsCenter, right? On I mean, ESPN.com. On ESPN.com. Yeah. ESPN. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, it's a, a fictional tale about their lives, uh, about how they started fantasy football back in uh, the early in the 90s. the early 90s, s-
1: right?
11: It's so
5: a, quote a They were calling it a fake true story.
12: <laughs> <laughs> so
5: a true story with
11: absolutely no trueness.
12: So not only might this appeal to those who like sports now, but if you were,
6: you know, a closet fan back in the 90s and remember names like Emmett Smith Mm -hmm. and classics like that, this will really appeal to you.
11: It's also good for fans who like lying, because there's a lot of lying (laughs) as if this
5: is a true story. And early 90s uh, television shows. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of early 90s pop references. Full House, um, Family Matters, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jaleel Uh, White gets a strong (laughs) reference in the show. Dinosaurs. (laughs) Dinosaurs. <laughs> not the moment.
0: So, well, I, I don't work in an office and I, I never have. So, I'm not sure when people are like picking their, you know, fantasy football teams, do they often break out in song? Yeah. <laughs>
11: That's actually, why, why you
0: that? uh, maybe I should go work in an
11: office. <laughs> in, a, in a previous <laughs> incarnation of the draft, there was the, uh, of the show, not the draft of the fantasy football, in the, in the draft of the script, there was this one character that didn't say a word throughout the entire show, <laughs> I would just sort of sit there like nodding along as crazy things were happening, and then finally, they were like, hey, you're going to draft in the football, in the fantasy football league, and his lies like light up, and all of a sudden he just sings this gigantic big, like, sing, singing number. A big singing number. Yeah. Uh, a big sing- <laughs> I, think it's, I think in the biz, it's called a singing number.
0: Versus a big mime number. <laughs>
11: <laughs> Look, I use industry terms only, so singing number is what I, what I meant. today. Yeah. I'm sticking with it. Strike.
0: <laughs> well, uh, now, David, I understand. You are not a member of Actors' Equity? Uh, No, I'm not. Which means you get
11: to sing on our show. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) So if I had joined the union, I could not sing the songs from the show I wrote? (laughs) I think they let you if you wrote your own show. Oh, that's good to know. Wow.
0: That's even iffy, I think. (laughs) But um, so do you want
11: to tell us, before we kind of go
0: on with the conversation, do you want to tell us about this first
11: song you're going to sing? Sure, sure, sure. This is called Sports Is My Religion. And uh, obviously there's this character, Bill Simmons, who, well, he... uh, he, he watches sports all day, and he loves sports, and he's passionate about sports, but a lot of the world and his girlfriend and his boss and everyone, they see that as sort of this dumb hobby that's keeping him from actually getting his life together. And at some point, he has to prove to his girlfriend, who is a music-obsessed uh, up-and-coming performer, he has to prove to her that his love for sports is, is equal to her love of music, and they actually, they do belong together. They each have their passions.
0: All right, so Alvin, you ready to hop on the keys? Yeah, sure. All right, let's go
13: sports is my religion i know that sounds absurd you've got your messiah and i've got larry bird you've never seen god but somehow he's real i think that's why we pray it's how it makes us feel it's the feeling when your congregation rises up in song it's the feeling when I'm cheering from the stands 10,000 strong. It's the feeling we both share. It's the feeling someone's there for you. Feeling like you belong. Sports is like your music, they're running through our veins i haven't seen my dad in months but our red sox love remains you play van halen or you're listening to sticks i got that feeling of watching bird in 86 and you can go to graceland i will go to fenway park When the rain comes, well put ponchos on And you can build an ark But those skies will start to clear If you hold your best friends near to you Feeling like we belong And if someday my TV was destroyed Well sure I'd scream and shout But I know you're the only thing in life I cannot live without I spend my Sundays watching football I've never even gone to mass but I love you so it's time I throw my helmet games to watch your Christ believe. It's the feeling we both share that there's someone there to care for you. Feeling like we belong in a ninth inning tie. or oh, some fans pray to the sky. You'll see why I guarantee you belong. Belong with me
0: When you were working on the show, uh, did somebody tell you that uh, that guys go see a lot of musicals? <laughs> <laughs> what, what have you done to well, gay this up or to appeal to women?
11: Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to get not so much guys to come, but girlfriends <laughs> to drag their guys to come. Mm-hmm. That's that's sort of a goal for
5: us. Well, I think my uh, uh, my my hip hop uh, styles in mm. this show will will bring a lot of the men to the show well. Yeah, Skip is an uh, up-and-coming yeah. early 90s hip-hop star in the show, which is not far off from my, uh, uh, my life story, actually. Right? Your, your, <laughs> p- your personal yeah. life. Yeah, my yeah, personal yeah. life.
0: Yeah. Right, so you're, you're a hip-hopper,
5: huh? Uh, yeah, I have uh, <laughs> a group. It's called P. Bizzle and the, and the Five Star Homily. It's me and my brother-in-law uh, <laughs> laughing and high-fiving each other <laughs> for hours on end creating a uh, uh, comedy Never beats. gets old. Yep, yeah, pretty much, yeah.
0: So what so far has been the biggest challenge for you with uh, getting the show all together for each of you, you know, getting ready for Nymph?
5: Well, I think we all hate each other, so (laughs) that's that's a big part of it. Right. Yeah, sitting right next to the big problem
11: right now. (laughs) We're not going to rehearse in the same room. We're all going to rehearse in isolation chambers. You can't see right now, but our faces are all beat red because we're just fuming. (laughs) (laughs) So that's been a challenge, yeah. (laughs) No, actually. <laughs> they are. It's just guys don't show their emotions. <laughs> exactly. one, of the, one of the big challenges for me, which was solved by Alvin, was um, I would write this music and it would sort of be in my head and be, I guess, if you want to call it, in my fingers because I could play it on the piano, but I couldn't actually write it down on sheet music because that would just take me forever. Uh, so I gave it over to Alvin, and Alvin is a complete music genius. So he's actually turned it into sheet music. So that problem was completely solved, but that was a real
12: issue for me for and a while. It was, it was so fun to take the music that David written because he and I got together multiple times, and he would
6: play, he said, well, this, this is my vision. It's like you know, run with it, go go wild. I'll pull you back if need be. So I would you know take and take his uh, take his work and arrange it, and just you know we would sit down for hours on it and, and uh, come up with an awesome. Well, what I like to think is an awesome finished product.
11: Yeah, and he he would take my. Pretty, pretty low end uh, piano arrangements, and he would turn them into these actual orchestrations that are superb. And our music director Brian Usifer, is going to be putting other instruments to it as well. We're now going to have a four piece band, but gonna he's going to make rocking. it sound like an eight piece band with all these patches on the on the keyboard. It's going to be fantastic.
0: Patches? What's a patch? <laughs>
12: <laughs> Hold on, I'm using another industry term. <laughs> you, know, you know, those things that make help you quit smoking. One, one, one of those. No, I'm <laughs>
0: All right. Well, before we kind of wrap up, uh, do you want to perform one more song here from the show? That
12: would be
11: awesome. you want to set this one up? This one is, I would say, is the anthem of the musical. I, this would, is called, I would say that too, yeah. <laughs> This is This is called Man Friends, and it's about uh, this one character, Stoner. Who I mean, so Stoner and Jacko are just two two frat bros, and they they hang out with each other, and they're they guys. They love each other in a bro romantic way.
0: They're frat brothers and they're guys, and so let me try to wrap my head around that. Yeah, it's very complex. <laughs> never heard of that. Try to stay with
4: us,
11: <laughs> but yeah, uh, not the female frat. brothers. <laughs> the... So Jacko's never really had a girlfriend, and Stoner's never had a girlfriend. They just sort of just watch TV and hang out with each other. But all of a sudden, Stoner gets a little bit of a thing for Becky. Uh oh. Because Becky covertly loves sports just as much as Stoner does. And Jacko's freaking out all of a sudden. uh Uh-oh, my guys he's going to get a girlfriend. And Bill's already got this girlfriend. And nobody's going to be there to hang out with me. And Stoner says, calm down, Jacko. Let me tell you how much I love you. (laughs) All right. You guys ready?
13: I like watching games with you. Watching games as men are prone to do. When the home team wins, we celebrate. When they lose, we can commiserate Cause there's no one in this world I'd rather be with here today I love my man friends And that's okay Men do not feel They don't emote they do not tell each other there's a lump in my throat but when my team has won when I hear the final sound what's the point of celebration with no fist to pound I will sit with you in ticket lines through every rain delay I love my man Grims. and that's so A girlfriend comes, that's what she said. A girlfriend goes, but what remains the same? Your bros. Your life has lows. Your life has highs. I'm sorry, stoner. That's not. Ge- hey, who would you rather have babysit your your kids, uh, Bill Lambier or O.J. Simpson? Was well, Simpson? Bill Lambier's a psycho man. <laughs> yeah. I love my man, friends. You guys are okay. All right.
0: So, really quick, Patrick, when did you come on board with the? Production.
5: Uh, uh, what was it? Six months ago or so that we. Uh, Whenever we did the first reading. Yeah, yeah it was. Uh, I came in for the first reading. Well, actually, Dave um, before the first reading, he's like, uh, "Come over. I have this really awesome song that I want to play you uh, from this musical that I'm writing." And he told me all about how he had. Um, uh, Entered the contest uh, for ESPN.com to try and get in their uh, fantasy... Is it a basketball league? It was right? a fantasy basketball league on an ESPN.com radio contest to see what would you do to be
11: in a fantasy league with all these famous ESPN stars. So I said I would write a fantasy football musical. They thought that was funny.
5: Right, so he had a song that he wanted to play for me, and I was like, this is incredible, incredible. So... uh and a couple weeks later, I went to the first reading and read for Skip, and uh, I've been doing that ever since, uh, just because I'm an amazing rapper and uh, <laughs> <laughs> a great talent.
11: Uh, they, oh, I wrote, I wrote the part to lot. Patrick's specifications. It's specifically for someone who looks exactly like
5: Anthony Rapp and can actually rap hardcore. <laughs> yeah. And they call, they call me the silent storm so, <laughs> around, the, uh, around the office.
0: All right, so uh, you can find out more at fantasyfootballthemusical.com, correct?
11: (laughs)
5: Yeah, come visit and
11: see the rest of our awesome cast. Patrick is one of nine amazing performers. Go see it. we got Nick Spangler from The Fantastics, Christine Petty from Forbidden Broadway and The Sopranos, Emily McNamara from Awesome 80s Prom, and My First Time, uh, Ben Steinfeld from Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. We've got just an amazing, amazing cast, and everyone should come check them out.
0: I love Christine Pett. We interviewed her on the show a
11: couple of years ago, too. Isn't I mean, she the best? She's a, like, probably the best cast member for Forbidden Broadway ever. Oh, my God. So. <laughs> yeah, if, if you haven't seen her YouTube of her doing impressions of every Broadway right. female celebrity, go now to YouTube mm-hmm. and watch it. It's brilliant. So it's October 1st through the
0: 8th, and uh, the, the schedule's probably on your website, Fantasy Football, the musical. Mm-hmm. Yes. Opening October 1st. And, uh, yeah, so, and I believe you have to come in with a card with your season draft picks.
6: Yeah, in theater, mandatory.
0: All right, thanks so much, David Ingber, Alvin Huff, and Patrick Benedict, and best of luck with the production. Thanks thank so you, much. Thank
3: you.
7: On the boards.
0: A Woman's Journey to Have a Child takes her to the Czech Republic and back in The Toymaker, playing at Nymph from October 5th through the 18th. And we have got uh, the writer, book, music, and lyrics, Brian Putnam here, as well as musical director Kenneth Gartman and lead actress Rosina Hill. How are you guys doing? Great. Great. You guys want to maybe introduce yourselves quick uh, so that people can connect
14: your name with your voice? Sure. Sure. I'm um, Brian Putnam, book, music, and lyrics.
1: I'm Rosina Hill, um, actress, the Sarah Meeks character. I'm Kenneth Gartman, musical director.
14: All right,
0: so elevator pitch, what is The (laughs) Toymaker? Okay, I suppose that defaults to me.
14: Um, The Toymaker is a um, personal journey, a modern woman who um, is in a, um, not loveless, but strained relationship with her husband um, because they have been unable to have children. Uh, She has uh, been bidding on some toys online, uh, antique toys, um, and... Her search for one of those toys takes her on a very desperate um, journey to the Czech Republic um, where she meets up with a um, young Czech urchin um, who tries to um, rob her um, but ends up becoming a confidant and they go on a journey together. Um, ultimately, um, she finds the toy. I won't go you know, very far beyond that because I don't want to give away any major plot points. Um, and um, it just takes this amazing personal journey that... Um, brings her to a place of self-fulfillment. So I won't go beyond that. It
0: okay, sounds interesting. Now the elevator pitch for people who aren't going to the 50th floor. Rosina, 15 <laughs> seconds.
1: <laughs> this is a story um, of hope and uh, what needs to go on within. Um, it, it touches the the lives of, of, of of all of us at some point in time of our life, uh, where there's something that we desire, something that we want, and we've got to become very real with what are we gonna do in order to to reach that goal. Um, And sometimes we have no control of that, and uh, all we can do is, is hope. And uh, that's my 15th. <laughs>
15: <laughs> all right, Kenneth, your fifteen second elevator pitch. Fifteen seconds. Oh, first of all, it's a beautiful score, I must say, and and I have the privilege of getting to to make to bring it to life through music. And it's Sarah's journey in a in a quest of personal fulfillment and searching for answers. And, and her her search takes her all the way across the world to to Prague, and then takes her back through time to 1942 to the story of these lovely people and a similar struggle and as that resolves so does her ability to find hope in her own life. Yes. All right. Well put. <laughs>
1: yes. Sir. Much better than one.
15: <laughs> so,
0: Brian, and what has yep. the journey been of actually writing The Toymaker?
14: Um... Uh, It started in Wilmington, North Carolina, where I had a production company. Um, uh, It started with a skeletal book and a couple of songs, and we decided to do what was about to happen with another one of my shows in New York and do a reading in Wilmington of this, to see how the characters affected people, to see what the general thoughts would be. Um, And it was really an overwhelming response to these characters, um, even on that level. Um, So it's brought us from Wilmington, uh, North Carolina. I shortly thereafter moved to New York with my show Trouble in Shameland. And um, we self-produced a reading here, and we added new songs, and we started moving towards what was a completed work. Um, We did a non-equity reading. We were able to do some lights and uh, some minimal costuming to see how the show might look. And um, it was really turning into something uh, beautiful. Uh, Subsequently, we um, submitted to the York Theater for a reading, uh, and they picked that up as well. We brought on some tremendous actors, um, vocalists, who really uh, married themselves to that process and helped me, especially as a writer, with a lot of feedback about their specific characters, about music, about what was working, what wasn't working. Um, Ultimately, that led to a really tremendous uh, cast recording or demo recording, I should call it, and um, uh, we submitted to The Nymph, and that's where we are now. So it's been about a five-year journey thus far, Um, a lot of people along the way. And uh, yeah, that's that's where we are.
0: Well, before we continue, since you mentioned the demo,
14: uh, sure. should we maybe me play a song here from the demo? Absolutely. Um, I think um, just in succession um, in the show, uh, one of this would be uh, "Not So Distant Thunder." Um, it is sung by a uh, character, the Toy Maker. Actually, in 1942, occupied Bohemia, he um, his name is Peter. He um, is a farm worker who happens to make toys for the children in the town, and um, his wife has not been able to give them uh, children. A very similar story uh, to Sarah's modern day story. Um, but it is a, an extremely love filled relationship. Um, he steps away from her at this particular song and, just to himself in a burst of emotion, um, has a soliloquy basically back and forth with God about um, the situation and the the, the, um, the feeling that um, the war is coming to their town, that something is coming, and that's basically what this is. So. All right, let's take a listen.
16: Unsettling rains are falling Our sky turns black with fear Looking skyward, all I seem to hear Is a warning cry of thunder A not-so-distant thunder When Sodom burned When Egypt fell, when forty days of rain came, the warning calls were all the same. You spoke in the not-so-distant thunder. Is this your voice warning me now? I can hear you with each crash of your dark foreboding thunder. Lord, if you speak now, Please make your will clear Should we fear your revelation As you strike closer, closer, closer With your not so distant thunder Unsettling are
0: falling So, this is clearly not you know, a a light, fluffy musical comedy parody (laughs) Uh, and and one thing I'm getting the sense of, um, a lot of the heavy dramatic works I can think of in musical theater are like grand themes, think Les Mis or, you know, Miss Saigon or, you know, big sweeping wars and epics this (laughs) seems to be kind of somewhere in the middle a very personal story, but you know the very
14: serious is, is am I kind of taking this incorrectly, or <laughs> no, no, I think you're right right on track actually the 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 scenes are all very intimate, um most taking place between uh, one, two, or three characters um and there is a company uh there are um, ghosts of li the um, of the town of the past. Um, and the people of that town, and then some modern day people, but it um, is a fairly intimate show. It never really reaches a, uh, I would say, a Les Mis scale in its in its scope. It could be done very um, suggestively.
0: So, <laughs> so uh, for the two of you, uh, Ros- Rosina and Kenneth. Um, Working on this show, what have been your two biggest challenges? And you can kind of decide who wants to go first. (laughs) I'll go
15: first. I've been with the project for three years. I I met Brian. um, Actually, we had a a student in common that used to go down to North Carolina. And um, she had introduced us because she thought we needed to be together and and collaborate on, on projects. And so we met. And I sat down and played through the score that's he we met at grand central and then we went um, with his um, co-worker his co-producer at the time and sat and i just kind of sight read through the score and was so moved by the music and and after playing through the score brian was like absolutely let's do this together and then that's kind of how the journey began and the music's very sophisticated and which is what i love about it it's not a piano, bass, and drums kind of musical. It's not a boom, chuck, chuck, oh, let's wink, wink at the audience kind of musical. It's very emotional. And what Brian does so beautifully is capture that emotion musically and in so many different layers. And and the melodies and the rhythms, as challenging as they are to learn, as artists on this side of it, once you learn them, they stick to you. and, And they stick to the audience members in the same ways. They're very haunting melodies that just kind of permeate um, as you live with them for a while and so it's it's exciting and Josh Clayton is doing the orchestrations it's a seven piece orchestra and the layers of the orchestra really even add more of the depth and the beauty of the score and so that's something that's been both exciting because it's so great to work on good music The singers get to just sing um, and that's exciting to do and it's also challenging because because it is sophisticated and then Taking it from that let's learn this in such a short amount of time and then go beyond just knowing it to really bringing it out of the depth of our soul as if it is our own so that's been kind of my process with it it's lovely
1: yeah For for me the challenging part has been That it is such wonderful music and the lyrics, and even though it might seem uh, complicated, everything goes together. It makes sense, and that's uh, amazing. The script, um, it, it the the character of Sarah is complicated but no more complicated than what we go through our lives today so there are so many (laughs) in one sentence you can see all the different emotions that she's going through and you want to make sure that that it's clear um and and being vulnerable in the same sense um because on any different day we could come up with a different way of interpreting it but it's absol I just started on this piece, and I feel that it's it is a masterpiece. It's um, it, it it crosses any barrier because it hits straight to the emotion. It hits straight to life experience. It hits straight to um, uh, just character. And what you need to see inside of yourself and seeing other people and the give and take of life and uh, where you put in your focus on so uh for me it's it's a challenge but it's a wonderful challenge and it's a um a lot of work but i'm really really excited to uh, be a part of this project and uh I just see, see people walking away being moved and feeling uh, very connected and having a lot to talk about
0: from this piece. <laughs> All right. We're going to play one more song here from the demo. Do you want to set up this next song?
14: Um, absolutely. And before I do, I would like to um, credit uh, the previous song. That was uh, Zachary James, the wonderful Zachary James a very up-and-coming young actor here in uh, the city who's going to be playing Lurch in the upcoming Adams Family. Um, and that was orchestrated by Josh Clayton, as, as, as Kenneth mentioned um, earlier. Uh, this song, um, in the beginning of the show, Sarah, ha- Sarah has a song called Am I Crazy? And that song literally takes her from her bedroom to Prague. This is the song in the second act that just before the journey ends and just before we get to the end, brings her home. Um, it is meant to be strictly um, an emotional um, acceptance, and um, there 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 is absolutely no darkness in this song, and that that's rare in this show. <laughs> so um, that is what that is. Um, I can't say more without giving away major plot points. So we can give it a listen. All right, uh, Christiane Knoll, by the way, um, in the vocals again. Orchestrations by Josh Clayton. Um, Christiane. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. Um, Sarah brought a lot to the role, and will be starring as mother in Ragtime, uh, coming up on Broadway. So,
0: all right, take a listen. Hopefully now that through this interview, all the parents aren't planning on bringing all their little four-year-old types to see the Toy Maker. <laughs> oh, I know. Not, not, not the four-year-olds.
15: A
14: little, a little older.
15: It's like, it's Six, like the, seven, shows, yeah. the show's demographic is, is very broad, but um, that's what I find not is very interesting. Is <laughs> because you see something called the Toy Maker, and you think, "Oh, great, the Toy Maker!" But it's it's so much more than the Toy Maker. <laughs> um, it's exciting. Now, it's
0: playing from October 5th through the 18th, and um, people can get, uh, on your own website, is there the crazy, you know, festival schedule?
14: At- it, is, it is everywhere, yes. It is on our website. You can go to our personal website, which is thetoymakermusical.com.
0: And, uh, of course, you can go to nymph.org as well for information. Absolutely. And uh, I wish you the best of luck. It sounds like an exciting project, and hope all goes fantastic for you. Thank Thank you. 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 Again, once again, thank you so much, Brian Putnam, Kenneth Gartman, and Rosina Hill.
7: On the Boards.
0: John Hughes meets Scooby Doo in The Gay Bride of Frankenstein, playing at Nymph from September 28th through the 11th. And we have director Stephen Nakami. Did yep. I get that right? All right. Billy Butler, who wrote uh, the lyrics and music, as well as co wrote the book. And we have the choreographer, Adrienne Maitland, here. Yes. Hello. Hi. Hello. 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 Want to introduce yourself so people can connect your name with your uh, voice?
7: Sure. I'm Stephen Nakami, director.
2: I'm Adrian Maitland. I'm the choreographer.
7: I'm Billy Butler. I co-wrote the book and I wrote the lyrics and music. All right. So
0: the Gay Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, First thing is, uh, I'm gonna ask Adrienne. Yes. Fifteen second elevator pitch. You got fifteen seconds to tell somebody why they should see the show.
2: Why they should why they should see the show. Um, Wonderful. It's uh, Halloween meets somewhat Rocky Horror meets Scooby Doo meets the classic story of Frankenstein, all rolled into one. And we get to see the the story of those crazy meddling kids and what they get themselves into.
0: All right. So, what was the background? What was the what was the creation idea behind the gay bride of Frankenstein, Billy?
7: Well, it initially started with um, my my co writer Dane uh, Dane Lehman. Um, I had worked on an album the year before, and I wanted to write another one. But uh, both of us have you know twenty five years of musical theater experience, so we were both hey let's let's tr- try our hand at writing something, and we wanted to do something that. Was um, based on Halloween because. Okay,
0: what's twenty five years of musical theater experience? Because smoking a doobie and watching uh, Sound of Music for twenty five years straight doesn't count.
4: <laughs> oh really?
7: <laughs> <Darn it>. Shit. <laughs> oh never mind. I'm, I'm going back to New Hampshire. Um, uh, I've been an actor for. Uh, I've been member of Equity uh, for fifteen years and uh, made a living as, as an actor and as a director for for almost 25 years. And Dane is, is a, a designer and a technician um, as well as a writer and, you know, between the two of us we have almost 50 years of musical theater. You wouldn't think it by looking at
0: us. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Uh,
7: and that's a good thing. <laughs> crazy from up in New England. Um, I know, the crazy hippie theater people from New Hampshire. Um, well, we decided, you know, let's... You know, we see all these musicals come through. We've worked on just about every musical I've ever written. So we're like, well, well why can't we do it? I'm a musician, I'm, you know, let's see what we can do. And we spent a year working, you know, just uh, the story outline. And from there, uh, I wrote an album in a month, you know, sat down for 28 days straight, and we just wrote the whole thing. Laid all the groundwork out and spent another year, you know, refining it. And then we did the workshop a year ago. Um, Uh, this October
2: yeah it's literally less than a year ago that we you know sold out houses up in New England they Mm -hmm. won seven different awards I worked on that production as well
7: yeah it was awesome I mean it was a lot of uh, it was a pretty incredible experience just on a small community level and we were like hey let's take it to New York see what happens so this this whole team
12: was involved in New Hampshire I've worked with Billy before in New Hampshire on other shows and with Adrian Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. other shows in New Mm -hmm. Hampshire but um, it's my first time on the show yeah yeah
7: we kind of Dane and I kind of took the the realm because you know we ran out of money, <laughs> so we said okay well let 's just do it ourselves. you know we have a great support system. We had Adrian, we had other people in our community that were very supportive, you know and Dane and I kind of took the helm as everything and uh, put it all together and it worked you know for the most part as a workshop you know, as a new piece. I mean, what are you going to do you know you, it 's it's hard to to do a regular musical like The Wizard of Oz for god 's sakes, forget about it putting up a brand new show, you know.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, so what has your response
12: been uh, coming into the project, Stephen? <laughs> um, the music is pretty incredible. That's what, that's what got me first. Um, and the sense of humor behind it. Um, it's got a lot of heart, it's very silly, and it takes everything one step further than you expected to go. But yeah, the music was the hook that got me in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah, rock and roll. So
0: maybe before we should continue, we should listen to you. Actually, did a full recording of the.
7: Yeah, we did. Um, we did two months of rehearsal, did three weeks of performance, and then right after our Sunday close, that Tuesday, we went in and recorded the album in four days.
0: All right. So uh, we want to set up this first song. We're going to be sure.
7: Playing? We're going to. The first song is called "My Abomination," and it's um, uh, Edna, our, our heroine, singing about her love for her best friend that she's never told, you know, I, I've never told you that I loved you, I can't tell you, because in the eyes of God, it's an abomination. Um, and that pretty much sets up in the song. All right.
12: Yeah, I think. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and sure. tonight's Halloween night, and it's the night she wants to tell her. Yeah. Okay, yeah. let's take a listen. All right.
4: You say I'm the best, I melt inside And hide my honest reply From the very moment I saw you I felt our hearts collide, now we're going around in circles and I watch you walk away. If I only had the courage, I'd say to to be this way I know in my heart I'm okay and I pray to God if you'll hear me won't you set me free set me free
0: all right so now the title again is Gay Bride of Frankenstein. And I imagine people looking at their, you know, nymph booklets or, you know, <laughs> other people seeing the title are thinking, is this a gay horror, you know, uh, campy thing? What, what? Why Gay Bride of Frankenstein? What is this show? Is it a drag show? Is it a... Uh,
7: <laughs> well, no, it's not a drag show. <laughs> um, and, you know, we... Uh, we, we've we actually had that response, and that's a great response. You know, it elicits a, an, an emotional reaction. Um, if you look at the word gay, and it, we we did a lot of thought about this title. The word gay actually means happy. That's what the word means. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of, you know, the whole show is filled with that double entendre. You know, it means one thing. It means another thing. It can mean whatever you want, really. But it... You know, gay happy bride also means the homosexual bride, um, and it's it's there's so many levels I think to the to the actual title. Well,
2: and we use it in so many levels throughout yeah, the yeah. show. I mean, even the other spelling,
7: yeah, for another yeah. song, yeah. Yeah, There's th- another the word, spelling of gay? Yeah, yes. actually. <laughs> yes, there is. There is. Really? Um,
2: G-A-E. G-A-E,
7: and it's. Um, Get that out for Scrabble.
4: <laughs>
7: <laughs> well, hopefully, well, we've already entered it into Wikipedia, so um, it's legit. Yeah, uh, G-A-E actually stands for Gamma Alpha Epsilon, which is the fraternity that one of our characters is trying to join. He's trying to become gay as well. Not gay as
12: in yeah. homosexual, but he wants to be I'm gay. really follow. I am following. Well, all right,
7: yeah. <laughs>
12: <laughs> <laughs> if, if we take this to the further deeper, deeper level, right. um, kind of what Billy and I have talked about the show is that when um, when you're born, there's an expectation of who you are, there's who you want to be, and then it's, in essence, who you really are, yeah. and that's the journey they go through. Yeah. You know, who they think they should be, who they want to be, and who they actually are. Right.
0: Now, clearly, there's some good up-tempo numbers here. So what is your level of choreography? How crazy is your job in this?
2: I have the most amazing job. I can make monsters dance. We've got a comic book feel to it, so we can really kind of play with all of those characters that you remember watching in Saturday morning cartoons. You know, when you get to the masked ball at Halloween... You know, you've got Frankenstein kinds of things, you've got Igor kinds of things, you've got a wolfman, you know, you've got a vampire. So it has allowed me as a choreographer, because even as a dancer in my earlier years, having many different styles and loving many different styles and being able to incorporate all of them in there. Pretty much when we went into auditions, I introduced myself, I said, Adrian, I'm Adrian. Um, I'm in pretty high energy, you're gonna sweat, and we're gonna get through this really quickly and have fun. Yeah. And, and that's pretty much where we're at. Yeah. we want everybody yeah. to have as much positive experience with the show as we've had so far.
7: Yeah, I think you know you mentioned the comic book it's One thing we haven't really touched on: um, half the show, well, maybe not half, maybe almost half of the show is told 47%. through
0: forty-seven
7: percent, forty-seven point three percent of the show is told through animation and um, graphic uh, novel. Um, we have a, an artist who who's been on board with us since we started. Um, And he actually has a hundred page um, graphic novel that goes along with the show. I'm, you know, a lot of people synergy, don't. synergy, yeah. Well, you know,
0: it was really we're, we're, If you don't recoup on the musical, you'll definitely recoup merch. on the graphic novel. Here merch, you man.
7: You know, it's. I, I am not ashamed to admit it. You know, we're creating a product. We're creating, you know, we're creating an art form um, that, that, that needs to be a product, and it's something that you need to really think about as a business person. I think, as a writer, you know, I don't want to just be this writer. I want to be a business person. I want somebody to to be fully immersed because I know when I when I go see movie that i really love i'm completely immersed in it you know i'll go buy the t-shirts i'll buy the book i'll buy the the dvds you know but half of our show is is told through this animation and that's one of the things that we kept in mind from the very beginning when we were writing it is you know how can we incorporate other mediums because audiences are changing you know i know as an audience member myself i don't go see a lot of shows anymore because it's the same thing really over and over again and nothing to say against any artist at all but you know we need to evolve you know as artists we need to take that next step and you know it's hard it's, it's scary to you know I don't want to break a mold or
12: anything I just well, want to kind of there's also a whole... Challenge other, myself. Right, and there's a whole other audience that hasn't really been tapped to musicals that right. lives in the graphic novel world. Mm-hmm. Right. Loves mm-hmm. that. And it's, you know,
7: and it's the, the people like me who go to the Comic-Cons and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the internet geeks yeah. like myself. You know, I, I think that we are on the forefront of a whole new... Um, uh, era uh,
0: things might uh, wrap songs. around to being cool again you know now that movies are moving to 3D mm-hmm. yeah. theater we're 3D 3D? when did that
7: start? <laughs> 50s. <laughs> we're 50s
0: we're 3D <laughs> right
7: <laughs> <laughs> my daughter is now dressing 50s retro so that tells you she's 14
0: <laughs>
7: she's very cool
2: she's very you know. cool
7: anyway
0: alright should we listen to the next song here from your uh, CD? sure mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: this one's you the is boogie, up. right? Set it up. Mm-hmm. Um, this is pretty much the top of Act Two. This is when um, we, the audience and the characters, are all in the haunted mansion for the very first time, and you get to kind of be a part of this whole big number. It's the number where the the band raises the bride from the dead. There's a little bit of a ritualistic kind of thing in there. Um, so dancing monsters, lots of happy mm-hmm. upbeat things going on.
7: A little voodoo. Yeah. A little yeah. Voodoo. Voodoo. Is it suitable for kids? It's definitely not. No. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> no. but you, know you know what's funny is that um, my band members, all their kids, you know, they're four or five years old, they they've been listening to the C D nonstop since it came out. So they're they're getting a little sick of it. The kids aren't.
0: The kids aren't. All right, let's take a listen to Bielsa Boogie. right, so Gay Bride of Frankenstein, it's September 28th through October 11th. Uh, Now, nymph.org, people can go to get the schedule information, but uh, I believe you have your own nifty little
7: website too, right? Yes, uh, com. How will we ever remember that? com. There are two Fs.
2: It's of Frank.
7: Yeah. And what theater are you playing at? We're playing at TBG Theater um, on 36th Street between 8 and 9.
0: All right. Yeah. So I definitely wish you the best of luck. Sounds thanks, like man. a lot of Thank fun. Thank you. Thank you. And once again, thanks so much for stopping by. Stephen Nakami. Am, am I murdering that? That was it. No, you that got it. it. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Adrian Maitland and Billy Butler. Thanks, man. Thank okay.
7: you. All right. On the boards.
0: The New York Musical Theater Festival is about more than straight musical theater, as if you've listened to the program before, you know they often have many dance pieces. And this year, one of the pieces involved is Encore from the Daniel Gwartzman Dance Company. That's from October 1st to the 3rd, 2009. Takes an interesting mix of... uh, What I'd say is reality show television mixed with a dance piece and uh, classic jazz music throughout. And we have got, uh, I'm guessing, the company founder, Daniel Gwartzman, (laughs) here with us, uh, along with company member and dancer for the production, Madeline Hoke. How are you doing?
17: We're doing great.
0: Thank
3: you. Great. Thanks for having us.
0: And that is correct. I am the founder of the company. (laughs) (laughs) I was just, you know, taking a wild leap there. So how long has your company been around?
17: Well, the company's celebrating 11 years. And what's funny about that is in 1995, I co-founded a company called Artichoke Dance Company, which continues today as a repertory company, precisely because I felt at the time the world did not need another company with an artistic director's name in it. Anyway, I came to um, form Daniel Wertzman Dance Company in 1998.
0: All right. So what was the, uh, tell us about, okay, this is what I'm doing with everybody. Your 15-second elevator pitch to get somebody to see Encore.
17: Sure. Encore is a show about putting on a show, and we are earnestly performing numbers with our hearts on our bare sleeves, as it were. Um, We are giving everything we can to match the brilliance of great classic jazz music, and it's meant to be fun.
0: You know what I missed in that elevator pitch? Elevator, 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 elevator pitch. I missed the word dance. You just just lost the person in the elevator. Okay, Madeline, your 15-second elevator pitch. How do you tell people to come see the show?
3: 15 seconds. Um, It's a blast. Your toes are going to be tapping. You're going to be wiggling in your seat. You're going to watch these... 11 to 15 fantastic dancers for over an hour, working their hearts out, you know, hitting every beat of the music precisely and incredibly fast. You're going to see the human body move faster than you ever thought it possible, and you're going to leave with a huge smile on your face and wanting to just get up and play some jazz or dance to it.
0: 11, 15 dancers. Are you expecting some to die along the way? (laughs) The
17: joke
4: in the company is that I'm going to
17: continue to audition up through opening night, which I might. Um, Encore originally had 12 dancers, and we do have 14 dancers in this production. Plus, I play a role as the choreographer in it, and then there's technical help that's also cast members in the show. So we are looking at an 18-plus cast with Encore.
0: Okay, you just mentioned that you play a role as the choreographer. So I, I think we need a little bit more in-depth setup of, of what sure.
17: Encore is. So Encore is a theatrical show, and we play characters from start to finish. It's a narrative show that never breaks the fourth wall of a show. And I have seen
0: many straight plays where the actors don't stay in character from start to finish. So.
17: <laughs> well, <laughs> it's important because we're not um, trying to be glib or make fun of anything. We're actually earnestly just... Offering encore is a tribute to the hard work of dance and the great legendary Broadway choreographers, people like Fosse and Michael Bennett, and going and Jerome Robbins. Um, even before that, Jack Cole, and also a lot of amazing acts like the Nicholas Brothers. All of that's referred to um, through using this music. And um, what else might you add to that,
3: Madeline? The characters are based on ourselves. It's. I remember a, a rehearsal as we started developing our characters more once. Most of the choreography was set back in 2007 when it premiered, and it was. Danny gave me the instruction to um, come in, and you know your your feet are always moving. You're a little jumpy. You're a little anxious. You know you, you might think you're late, but you're not. You're on time. And so when I entered the studio in the show, uh, which is the stage actually, it's you, you know, that's re- a, tell
0: me the truth. You really did this just so you didn't have to do a set, right?
3: <laughs> it's <laughs> real, though you know, it's, it's totally real. Um, I think a set might might clutter it too much. That would be a little too and theatrical. And or
17: maybe it could withstand one in the future. I, that's really not been like germane to, to the concept, which is just realizing the music and dance. I mean, that's really the heart of the show is the music. It came from the music. We're asked constantly, you know, which comes first, music or the dance? It always changes. With this project, it was completely a response to the music. And, and further detailing of your question, I do play a choreographer in the show, but it's not me. It's a character based on me. As an actor in the show, I'm bringing my life experience to the role as all the characters are. But it's very important that we inhabit this space and honor that it's a show. And that said, there are lines and there are um, there's a script that we follow. We're certainly as a reality show, open to a certain flexibility in the moment as in any performance, but but it is a tightly constructed show.
0: Well, maybe with all you're talk about the music, maybe we should take a little bit of a listen to one of the songs here and then maybe as we're listening to it, talk a little bit about what you're doing
17: during it. Sure, that'd be great. We What's had, the
0: first one you'd like us to play?
17: We're going to start with Harlem Congo. Harlem Congo is by Chick Webb and it's one of the hardest pieces to dance in the show so maybe Madeline could talk just briefly about what that is. Here we're running. We're just running very fast. It's to this precise beat. Side two, back two, three, side two, three, side two, three, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's a logic here. We're just running. The whole piece is based on steps. Now we add a skip. It's the same pattern. Backwards for eight, forward, and side, back, side, side. side. So there's a whole structure to the dance. The feet are moving at this fast pace. Now we start turning the skips. Turn three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three. Everybody's moving in uniform. It's very fast. Then we sing skip, skip, step, skip, step, skip, skip, step, skip, step, skip, step, step, skip, 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 step, 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 skip. Ta. Then there's a tag, which is probably the most complicated thing. Hopping on one leg. Turn, run, run, to shift and shift and shift, skip, step, skip, step, step. Ta. One, two, three, four, five. So that's the intro to <laughs> Congo.
0: That, that's possibly one of the most interesting, intriguing performances I've I've, I've heard here, in and in a unique way to convey some of the dance stuff going.
17: <laughs> it has a very definite structure that's challenging, but then. As a dancer, once it's mastered, it's. It
3: is the prime example and encore of how things happen to the fastest rhythm possible. You heard the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and we are moving on every single beat of that, and it just gets more and more complex. It snowballs from just running, as Danny said, to skipping and,
17: and turning. At this point, here it's uh, free form, everybody's still following choreography, but it's looser, and then it gets into a little bit of slouchy, which you can hear here in the horns, and it's about to change change into a part called Charlie and
3: we're ta- tipping our hats Charlie Chaplin little tribute and.
17: here and then you kick the hat in the air imaginary of course a little fussy here gets very sassy <laughs> we're just doing a little sass everybody's hamming it up and then we make lines and then we have bows and pulling each other through lines, and present, bowing up, porta bra up. So anyway, here we have a cannon happening with two lines, and it's very fast and fun, and it's a short number. It's going to finish in just a moment. Break. Everybody's scattering, again, yeah, working to the fast beat. Work.
3: Moving, scattering all over stage, filling the space.
17: Lines intersecting, changing directions, lines, and then we're about to enter this great drum break that just comes out of nowhere and partnering. Everybody's kind of doing um, Cirque du Soleil type, type and you know,
3: supporting each other. People are flying through the air, and we're holding them in positions. There's a reference fall. to the
17: Go Go's cover there, in <laughs> the water skiing picture. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's a kind of structure of just lifts, um, meant to be fun, and then it brings in this last little musical kick here. Takes it home. It's just an amazing mm-hmm. composition. It's just it, just to change so much, and it's constantly riveting. And so here's some slower partnering. It uh, started Allegro, it finishes Adagio, and then the last final moment of the number, you're going to have to come to see what we do here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Surprise ending.
17: <laughs> all right.
0: Now you said all the music is uh, in this classic jazz vein, so does that mean all the dances is in one kind of form, or...?
17: It's a great question. If I could just quote Deborah Jowett from the Village Voice, wrote, "It's great to see imaginative dancing to music like this." So I've not tried to do it in any other genre than the style of work that I've been doing um, for 14 years as a choreographer in New York, and it is an eclectic style that's known for its musicality um, and innovation. So I- I'm not. I was just trying to to meet the music, how it naturally um, came out of my body. Um, some of it is—it's accessible and entertaining, and that's do you, part Do you of, get yeah. when
0: music comes out of your body? Does it, you know, does it make people around you uncomfortable?
12: <laughs> in the
3: Subway or. You know? I think it's infectious. <laughs>
17: <laughs> no, that's a good question, though. I mean, I try to um, to minimize it when I'm on on the subway <laughs> or waiting um, for a train. Um, when you have your
0: iPod headphones on, do you, like, dance in the subway? No,
17: like, today sh- coming down, I'm go- <laughs> we have rehearsal, Madeline and I, immediately. Actually, it's happening right now at this moment, so we'll come and catch up for another piece that premieres in the middle of October. So I just sit on the train, listen to the music, and write. Um, I'm not really moving. But in the studio, that's the greatest joy is when it can just come out. And if I'm not thinking about it, then usually something um, Linked to the music in a deep way, if, if it 's music that I love and, and have listened to for years, and I'm ready to try to match it, I keep thinking you know the music doesn 't need anything to go with it, it already exists as a pure art, especially this music, Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, the Dorsey brothers, artie Shaw, Charlie Parker, uh, you know so a lot of heart has gone into it and Just, um, I think the beauty of Encore is that there wasn't so much thought into the development of the work. It just really was inspired by the music.
0: Now, off track for just a second. You've kept the company going for 11 years. Now, I would imagine dance takes space. Space in New York is at a prime... I'm, I'm get, how do you keep a dance company going for 11 years when I'm sure the bills stack up a lot higher than what revenues tend just, to be? You know, just for other people out there who are thinking about doing
17: No, this. it's terrific, and the question is so appropriate. This summer, for uh, the first time, the company's had several space grants simultaneously, which is to say residencies that have enabled us to rehearse without having that expense because space is, is, is the commodity for sure in New York. We're working at a YM and YWHA of Washington Heights and Inwood and we have access to a space, it's not as large as we'll have to perform in, so we are compromised in that regard. Uh, we were at the Queens Museum of Art this summer. We got to work in their space. We're at the Museum of Jewish Heritage. So right now we're experiencing an opportunity to help reduce that bottom line in terms of those expenditures. But you're absolutely right. That, that's the single, the single biggest challenge is space shared by dancers, just that you need to have you know, another person, an actual body, there to to learn the work.
0: (laughs) So, and uh, Madeline. Yes. Do you just dance, or do you do other things in the arts as well? Or what's kind of your background?
3: I dance for Danny's company, and I also dance for Kinesis Project Dance Theater. I've been with them about two years. And uh, when I got to New York, I got involved with circus arts and started training and performing in those. So I'm with a company called Above and Beyond Dance right now, doing some groundwork as well as some flying work, Um, silks, trapeze. And, um, and talk about your teaching, lives. though,
17: too, Madeline. Just mm-hmm.
3: p- I also teach for the Dana Gortzman Dance Company. We have a contract with the Department of Ed, and I've been teaching in two different public schools, one in Washington Heights, one in the Bronx. Um, but the company has spanned schools in four of the five boroughs and uh, the school you know has funds for the program then we place a teaching artist and have eight 12 week residencies usually that's typical with uh, right now mostly elementary school students but you know we've had workshops with high school students and whatnot throughout the years as well so that's also a, a big part of my life is um, passing on this this art form to to the youngsters and
17: income as well so it's so with this mm-hmm. company to maintain a sustainability for these years the department of education work has been a bread and butter for the company in terms of earned income we've been contracted since 1999 with the department and we've engaged in multiple year-long residencies so the 8 to 12 weeks may be a residency but our typical relationships with schools last in an academic year And then we get to perform. The Department of Cultural Affairs funded a 10-school tour of Encore, which we did last spring in 2008. And we were able to bring Encore to over 3,000 students and parents. And we had daytime lectems and evening performances all free to the community. So that is a huge part of of what we do.
0: Fantastic. And the public's going to get a chance to see
17: Encore October 1st through the 3rd. Uh, What theater is that at? This is at Manhattan Movement and Arts Center, which is one of the sites for New York Musical Theater Festival, right on 60th Street, between Amsterdam and West End Avenues.
0: And I know people can find out more information at nymph.org
17: or at your website, which you might want to spell out. Sure. Gwartzman is spelled G-W-I-R-T-Z as in zebra, M-A-N, followed by the word dance.org, gortzmandance.org.
0: Okay, now we're going to trail out here with another, uh, with another fun song, and we'll go on for a little bit, and we'll kind of fade it out at a certain point, but what's this next song
17: we're going to play? This is Indiana by the Dorsey Brothers. And this is a piece of music that kind of killed me when I first heard it years ago, meaning I just couldn't stop listening to it, trying to understand the syncopations and trying to understand the way it was crafted. There's this part at the end where it seems like it's edited, and it's actually just composed that way, where the ensemble kind of dissipates. Anyway, this is the finale of the show, and Malin can step in here too. This is a cute little trio for the men here that's just starting it off as a prologue. And it's syncopated and rhythmic and sharp and jazzy. And uh, other dancers come out. Everybody's dressed in gold lame. And we, uh, you know, kind of do a big um, phrase work here. That means a lot of big movement, kicking the leg, fast shift of weight. A little bit a grounded quality of the weight marks it in a modern dance style that we don't typically see as much of in Broadway work. But it's definitely face to the audience and... If not grinning, you know, we're putting on a a number here. It's definitely not esoteric. It's, you know. This is
3: the end, this is the showstopper. We're all just genuinely having a really great time. The movement's still fast and complex, but the relationship between everybody on stage is just really joyful.
17: And the relationship to the music, so, break solo. So we're listening to the music and honoring its structure and its form in the development of the work, at least I am. (laughs) And the dancers understand that structure because the piece is comprised of a lot of little nuggets that are sewn together. And so right at this moment, I'm teaching everybody a fast little step. And everyone's and just trying phrase, to get it. The
3: jogging phrase, we're running, you know, legs are kicking high, we're turning. Everyone is in unison, everyone's precisely together. And if it sounds
17: not too fast, step two, three, kick, turn two, three, kick. <laughs> Again, moving yeah, yeah. to, we could call the 16th note maybe here. Mm-hmm. Or, so we're really um, keeping that rhythm constant. There's a motor that's running. And at this point, there are smiles. Everybody's, you know, <laughs> I think, stuck in it bam. So playing with some of the pauses and the rest and the music. And then here people are exiting and we get into a new section new called Rings, which was inspired by the idea of Olympic rings. There are five people in it and they weave around each other. That's where it got that name. And again, the music, like the other track we listen to, just keeps evolving where there's this momentum. So here at this point, we unfold into a line. And each note is accented, each blast of the horn, without mimicking everything and land.
16: Curtain Call.
0: All right, so that wraps up our season premiere, Volume 318, our exclusive nymph coverage, first volume of four. We're going to be back next week, September 17th, with five more shows, and each week after that for the next two. So all this month, weekly shows. And may help you decide what you want to go catch at the New York Musical Theater Festival. Again, the festival is September 28th through October 18th, and you don't want to miss it. And we're also going to be having some New York It coverage for the awards ceremony this year. A lot of the best and brightest, and maybe we've interviewed some of them on the program this past year. All right, well, it's good to be back. Once again, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. I
12: wouldn't want it.
1: That's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable
4: with, you know, issue of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything.
0: So.